episode of Stories of the Supernatural. Whether you're watching a video or listening to a podcast, please like and subscribe to us so that you can get notification of when a new show is released. Links to videos or mp3 files can be found on MiamiGhostChronicles.com. Go to MarlenePardo.com for information on new book releases. I narrate several podcast series that can be found on major podcast platforms and can also be listened to via Alexa, Sonos, and other home systems. Look for Supernatural Storytime for scary storytelling, Nightshade Diary for classic horror and adventure stories, Stories of the Supernatural for interviews with different guests on the show. If you want to get noteworthy news about the paranormal world, true crime, conspiracy stories, and anything that is just plain weird, you can visit Strange Than Fiction Stories tab at MiamiGhostChronicles.com or find us on Blogspot. I want to thank you for being part of my audience, and I think you are all wonderful. Hi, everybody. How's everybody doing today? Good. I'm doing good. Great. Um, even though the show is going to be a little bit staggered, I'm going to still say it. Happy Veterans Day because we're doing this November 11th. Uh, so thanks to all of you who served in the armed forces. And that includes my youngest son who was in the Navy for five years. Anyway, uh, let's get on to the good stuff. I know I everybody's been asking me, you haven't shown us your chicken kingdom videos. I, You know what? I'm going to be going out and I'm going to do videos with some of my special chickens that I have, you know, that I hatched and I, you know, basically nurtured. I want to do a video on that next time around, guys. I promise. I promise. I'll bring in the the, the characters because I do have characters, you know, even <laughs> though I have a free range flock, I have some that, uh, like I said, I have my eight year old and I have some that now I think about it, maybe they're going on three or four years old, but basically I hatched them in a, an incubator and some of them got sick and I, I found, I learned a lot about chickens during that period, but I promise the next, uh, next episode, I'm going to do a little intro for the video portion, not the podcast, obviously of me in uh, chicken kingdom. Now, uh, next thing, guys, uh, sign up for my newsletter, go to miamighostchronicles.com or Marlene Parter. Com, and you can sign up for my newsletter. It comes out once a week only. And usually I have some article, ghost stories, true crime, something interesting. And I also have links to any of my related videos or podcasts. And uh, if I have anything that's going on with my books, for example, when I just released the last true crime uh, one, the hot day on a cold slab for 15 days, I had a hundred book giveaway on Amazon through Goodreads. So you know, I announced it on that newsletter. And the reason why sometimes it's easier to do that is that I can time it better sometimes in the video. So sign up for my newsletter. Second thing, I've got a new sponsor, okay? And this new sponsor, their name is Plan to Stay Safe. And basically what they do is they ask you, how do you plan to stay safe? Uh, they offer stun guns, pepper sprays, hidden cameras, diversion safes, knives, coubatons, any of the non-lethal things that you can carry to stay safe. They have a lot of camping supplies, uh, sporting goods supplies, things of that nature. And best of all, in the United States, if, you're, uh, if you order $50 or more, you get free delivery. USA only free delivery on any order, uh, $50 and over. All right. So go ahead, check them out. They are at 
plantostaysafe.com, plantostaysafe.com. Check them out. They've usually got uh, daily deals. Uh, like I said, that that no cost uh, for $50 and over order. That's great. No shipping charge. So by all means, go ahead and check them out. Now let's get on to the good part. The good part is the guest. This is a first time guest for Stories of the Supernatural. And I'm very excited because when I say who it is, I am sure that you are very familiar with this gentleman. Okay. Because he has been involved in the paranormal world as far as shows, books, you name it. All right. Drum roll. Okay. Uh, the guest today is Jeff Belanger. Okay. And I'd like to uh, for you to help me welcome him. How are you doing today, Jeff? And thanks for having me on. I'm unmuted now. Nah, exactly. Yeah, that's me. Yeah. Getting to. Uh, I was lip syncing before. <laughs> My audience is like, "Oh, Marlene, there she goes again." <laughs> so anyway, Jeff, um, let me let me uh, fill in my um, all my uh, you know. It's I'm not like, here if that's for me. If that phone calls, I'm telling for me, you, tell I I kid I'm you not. not. You know what it is? I have my phone on silent. The only exception are my children, which, by the way, are adults. Because I'm right. thinking they're adults. The only time they're calling me is, "Mom," uh, you know. So of course, impeccable timing. <laughs> that's my son calling me. Take the call. So, See how he's doing. No, no, he's no, 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 no. If he's calling, uh, nah, no, no. It'll be something. Uh, today is. Uh, he's he's on his day off, so he calls me about stuff that you know. Sometimes we trade ideas on on uh, books and stories. So, is he's my writer? He's my my kid that turned out to be a writer. But anyway, let, let me get on to uh, Jeff. Obviously, and, and this is his bio. He's an author, a podcaster, storyteller, adventurer, explorer of the unexplained. He's written more than a dozen books. Have been published in six languages. He's the Emmy-nominated host, writer, and producer of the New England Legends series on PBS and Amazon Prime. Uh, he provides programs and lectures to audiences all over the world, and he's been the writer and researcher for every episode of Ghost Adventures on the Travel Channel. Jeff has made media appearances on hundreds of radio and television programs over his 20-year career, and he has a passion for mysteries and legends. Yay! <laughs> Thanks. So I do. <laughs> yes, and That's let me true. tell you something. Despite what people think that sometimes that, that to me, that's a fascinating, uh, every, so many things fall under that umbrella of whether it's mysteries, legends, folklore, paranormal, whatever you want to call it. Sure. Um, it's to me, it's endless. Let me ask you something, Jeff. Um, how did you get interested in this childhood experience? What happened? Yeah. So, uh, I grew up in new England and I think I was just sort of steeped in a tradition of haunts. I didn't live in a haunted house though. Um, I had a friend down the street who did and, his house was built in 1760, which I always thought was interesting. I mean, at the time it was built, we were England. <laughs> we weren't even we weren't even America. Right, yet. Exactly. And, uh, you know, they'd say like, yeah, you know, sometimes we see this old guy walk down the hall and just disappear. And I'm like, are you kidding? Like, is that grandpa? Like, who, who is that? He's like, ah, we don't know. But it doesn't bother us and we're not scared. And I thought this is amazing. And I also grew up in the town next to Ed and Lorraine Warren. So um, okay. they're from Monroe, Connecticut. I lived in Sandy Hook, Connecticut. And. Um, so I, I would go attend their library programs and, and things like that in October and hear their stories and see their evidence. And I thought, this is amazing. Like, what an incredible thing. Mm -hmm. And so I, I went to school to be a writer and started as a journalist, a features writer. And around October, you go looking for these kind of stories. So it was the mid nineties that I, I started writing about, um, ghosts and haunts for October, 
went on the newspaper's website and they said, wow, your paranormal articles get 10 times the traffic of everything else combined. And so I started there my own go. website, ghostvillage.com back in 1999 and it's still going. And, um, it's just, you know, it's, it's not a career I planned. It's just, uh, you know, then I got a book deal and then I started writing more books and then I started working for ghost adventures. And then, you know, one day you kind of wake up and say, oh my goodness, this is my full-time job. And, and I'm, I'm so grateful for it. Sure. Exactly. It's like, yeah. it's that, what you say that, that the, it's not a job, even though it's a job, but it's a passion. So it doesn't feel sometimes a lot of times like a job You see, well, because you're doing what you love. Sure. Totally. But at the same time, I have bills like everybody else and, oh, this, sure. is how, and this is how I pay them. So it's, uh, you know, you, you, you do like a million different things like ghost adventures is great and writing books is great, but like none of them alone are enough to, you know, pay, pay for my, a family and a house sure. and things like that. And so, so, but at the same time, I, I think that suits me well because I couldn't do any one thing for too long. You know, one of the things I love about these stories is that like on ghost adventures, every episode is a new place, a new thing to learn, a new, you know, well, what, what's behind this haunt, you know, why is this place haunted? And every sure. building has its own unique story. And so, you know, pretty much every single week of my life, I'm working on something new. And that just a keeps lot of me research, I bet, huh? Yeah. Oh, it's ton of research. Yeah. Because for me, you know, when you when you say a place is haunted, um, the the backstory, the history, that's the stage that you set the ghosts on. You know, I mean, if, if you went to see a play and all the actors walked out on stage and they're all dressed completely in black and the stage is completely black and the curtains are completely black and there's nothing and they walk out and they start talking, you're going to be confused. But what year is it? Where are we? Are we in the city? Are we in the country? You know, are we in an apartment? Are we out in a field? You know, there's no context whatsoever. And so your brain doesn't know how to process the words you're hearing. And it's a lot of work and a lot of time to keep, catch up. Yes. A does. lot of paranormal television shows just go to a location and go, okay, they say this place is haunted. Let's start doing EVP. And you go, oh, well, that's that's the stage without any setting. You know, I mean, mm -hmm. I don't understand it, and and uh, I need I need to put it into some context because that that allows me to connect with whatever might potentially be there. Right, and I mean, I understand. I'm a little bit older than you, and I remember when I was a kid, the only library books were Hans Holzer, and you know, a lot of his yeah. stories took place in the Northeast. You know, that was his stomping yeah. ground. Yeah, when he would do that stuff, and then of course we it graduated into you know you got other shows like in search of and then you know diversified but i absolutely agree with you that sometimes research uh sometimes the usual suspects aren't the usual suspects and when you do the research you realize man there's a lot of dark history here beyond maybe the stories that are told um, well sure and at the same time like i mean to me the simplest definition of a ghost is that it, it's the past coming to the present right i've said it's it's mm -hmm. history demanding to be remembered and so uh, it begs us to go back. And one thing we've learned repeatedly is that uh, history does repeat itself and we don't often learn the lessons of the past. And, and that haunts us. You know, I mean, there's there's reasons places like Gettysburg are haunted and, and these old battlefields and murder sites and stuff like that. It haunts us. It literally haunts us. Well, and, and I don't know if you found this as well. Sometimes when you're talking about the good old days and let's say where we're doing something that's in the past. A lot of times uh, they try to couch things. Sometimes I, I want to say, in, sometimes they were very descriptive, but other times they didn't want to expose, let's say certain families to uh, some type of scandal. So you have to really dig around to get the truth as to, hey, what really happened here? 
So was it a suicide or was it a murder? <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Some of those are family, you know, dark family secrets that are protected. But I also found that different parts of the world treat their haunts differently. You know, so for example, you go to England, you go to Europe, you know, parts of Europe, and they're just so matter of fact about their haunts. It's not a big thing. Yeah, that building's haunted. That one isn't whatever, you know, what do you want for lunch? You know, and it's, it's not, it's not, it doesn't have to be a big discussion. I think in new England where I live, it's, it's, there's a lot of that sensibility that it's just like, yeah, they say that's haunted. That's okay. You know, it doesn't bother me. And, um, but then other parts of of, uh, the world and the country, like we don't speak about that or, uh, it, they, it, it immediately takes on a religious tone. This is from God or from the devil. That's the only two. No in between. Yeah, there's no there's no gray area. And and I guess I was raised Catholic in the interest of mm-hmm. full disclosure and Catholicism. We've got an entire spectrum, right? We've got God and the devil. and We've got yeah. angels and demons and we've got sinners and saints and we've got purgatory. What the hell is purgatory? Well, right? I tell everybody, you know, even even Hollywood, if let's say you've got a, a case of possession, eventually yeah. you go to the big guns, which is. The Catholic priest, you know. Well, yeah, they, they they certainly bring a lot of drama to it, and yeah. I mean, other religions have exorcism as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I've, I once got to interview Rabbi Gershon Winkler, who wrote a book called Dibbuk, which is about uh, Jewish uh, Jewish possession and Jewish exorcism, and it's sort of beautiful the way they treat it. It's it's they treat it as two spirits need healing. The, there's a living spirit and a spirit of someone who's already passed on, and they both need to be separated and healed. As opposed to Catholicism, which is I vanquish you to hell and brimstone and right, rah, right. you know, and it's like, and I was like, oh, Rabbi Winkler, they're never going to make a Hollywood movie about your exorcism, <laughs> you know. It, it's just it's too uh, calm and nice and and uh, not enough drama. And so yeah, I, I guess when it gets real, you know, people turn to the Catholics because, um, well, the movie the, the Exorcist. I was going to say after the Exorcist, it would yeah. be for everybody else. Yeah, <laughs> all the really other religions. I'm saying. Yeah, no, I've seen it 137 times and it gets funnier each time, right? So, well, you know what? I tell everybody, I went, this came out in 73. I was 13 here. Everybody, I snuck off and I went to see it behind my mother's back because my Scary. mom, I, I went through 12 years of Catholic school, by the way. You know, oh, so I'm like, so my mom, goods. you know, at that time, the newspapers were already writing stories. And my mom says, absolutely, under, besides the fact that you're 13, and I think it was rated R at that time. Oh, it's still You cannot rated go R. see this movie. Right. Yeah, but my uncle was much younger. Her brother, him and his wife, they were newly married. And I told my mom, I- "I'm going to go see Day of the Dolphin." By the way, that was another movie that was out. I lied. I lied. Well, after I saw it, the first 15 minutes of it, and then the rest of the time I was looking at the theater floor. I remember when I got home, I didn't tell my mom, but I slept with her. And I was like all over her. She's like, "What's wrong with you?" You know. <laughs> but then, like you said, you fast forward, and you know, as an adult, you look at it, and it's like, "All right." But it's I could see scary. it was. But see, you know what? I, I remember back then, and I think the audiences were more innocent. This is why everybody wigged out so bad yeah. when they saw it. Because everybody's like, what? Uh, because back then, I even uh, we weren't as jaded as, as an audience as we were back then. You know, back then, we were very innocent. I'm saying overall. Yeah. And well, that this- was like, I'm going to lose my soul. Oh, my God. <laughs> So I, I've interviewed priests about that movie, you know, and uh, old old time priests who said, you know, after that came out, there was a line out the door of the rectory of people thinking they needed an exorcism. And yes. and then you also have to put that movie into the context of the times. It was 1973 and 1980 was, you know, that movie was still relatively fresh. I mean, everybody had seen it. 
come 1980. And then you, of course, have the satanic panic. Right. Yes. And, and, and what was happening was, you know, uh, Satan was becoming a real force to be reckoned with. He was being named quite a bit. And that, that's happened throughout history. Right. Satan has a very fascinating uh, history of, of, of uh, he's called in when we need him. Right. Um, so uh, <laughs> right. at the time they were attacking heavy metal music, you know, and um, and Dungeons and Dragons. Yes. And that's right. scary horror movies. And um, and meanwhile, <laughs> you know, and meanwhile, the Catholic Church was uh, performing uh, abhorrent crimes on children. <laughs> right well, along because that was um, that. Yeah. And, and, and nobody would ever think of accusing a priest back, you know, nope. before these scandals, because if you were a child, you could get in trouble. Yeah, Let's no, say. I know. And so so meanwhile, you know, they're they're casting aspersions on people playing Dungeons and Dragons and listening to Ozzy Osbourne yeah. and doing unspeakable acts uh, and crimes. And and yes. so. um I, I think the whole thing's interesting. It, it really is. And, no. and you put oh, it all and, into and, like a context. Absolutely. And um, and even I'll tell everybody not what a few weeks ago, there was a big scandal that broke out in France. The same thing with the Catholic Church and cases of molestation. And I mean, in, in other words, this was not like a few persons that yeah, did something. This is very widespread, unfortunately. And you're absolutely right. And but. Uh, and, and what's really funny is, of course, when they took it to the devil, it wasn't a ghost. It wasn't like a ghost was scary enough. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. it went to the point of the devil and well, yeah. um, devils and demons. And and we've, we've become more extreme in our culture. Oh, yeah. And so a ghost isn't scary enough. Oh, and no. so we, we've got to go to this like preternatural creature that's uh, just out to get us. And the, the interesting I started working on a project about um, the devil, specifically the devil in New England, just where he shows up and how he shows up. I mean, we've got hundreds of locations named after the devil. You know, we've got like Devil's Foot Road and like mm -hmm. Devil's Coffin and Devil's Corn Crib and Devil's Den and corn like like, like like all these various like locations, whether it's a street or part of a mountain or a gully or purgatory chasm. You know, like all these names, it comes up again and again. And these names are old. You know, they go back centuries yes. sometimes. And I, I think our, our puritanical roots show up. You know, for them, the devil was not a metaphor. The devil no. was literal and so by naming by, by naming so many locations after him by keeping him on uh everybody's mind um you on the, on the one hand you you give him quite a bit of power <laughs> which sure. is ironic right the thing wow. you fear you're you're supercharging and yet um you know and, and yet his his influence sort of sticks around and and he his his uh, influence waxes and wanes and the more we try to label something as satanic, so that's what we saw in the 80s, the satanic panic, right? Ozzy Osbourne was under attack from, from uh, you know, various church groups. For well, making, I think that, um, yeah, every anything that, I mean, come on. I even remember when uh, Madonna came out with like a virgin and mm -hmm. he was like, oh, my God, it's sacrilegious. <laughs> well, sure. And well, she was pushing boundaries. And sure. um, and you know what? Like, I get it. Culture moves when boundaries are pushed. Right. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? You, you can't stay in the safe little box forever. And and that's what art does. Our artists have always led the way. They've been doing that for millennia. You know, I mean, yes. art and music, writers, poets, uh, musicians, painters, dancers, uh, theater. You know, it has always, always been at the forefront of pushing those boundaries. Um, I, you know, I mean, depending on your perspective, some people and, and change is scary. I get it. Some people look sure, at that and absolutely. say, oh, no, that's not that's not how our society is supposed to work. That's not what how I grew up. And so therefore it must be wrong. But the reality is that's the direction the needle has moved for tens of thousands of years and always will move. And we just sort of have to uh, understand that culture evolves and, and 
and and uh, and I think it's ironic that sometimes uh, haunts and ghosts and legends are the things that do connect us back to those days. And sometimes maybe maybe we do push things too far, and um, we have examples of that from the past, right? And so we we sort of harken back. And so ghosts ghosts don't have to be scary; they can almost be nostalgic, you know. Yes. Um, the, the the fiddler that shows up in the corner of the old tavern uh, and then disappears, and you're like, oh, things were simpler then, you know. We weren't listening right. to streaming music. We had we had a lot. You know what? Maybe we should get some live music in here again. You know what I mean? Like, what if it's right. just that, right? Just this thing that connects us to a simpler time and a time when, you know, I don't know. I personally believe people connect better over a live musician than if you just have a streaming service playing over a speaker in a bar, you know? Of course. Um, so absolutely. It's just absolutely. And you know what? Um, I think also, uh, and, and I say, you know, don't get me wrong. I, I like when the people do that. They do the research and, you know, they give a back history, but sometimes some of these stories, folklore, whatever you want to call it, like exactly like what you described, which is great. It's like, you don't need an explanation of why the ghost is appearing or maybe who he is. Okay. Right. Or if he's still there or not, it's just a story. Exactly what you said, where it lends an air of nostalgia, or like you said, something that occurred or was part of the history, let's say a certain building uh, where, and that's it. That's all it is. You have to enjoy it for what it is. It doesn't have well, to sure. be explained 20 times over. Or do you to get is like did that really happen? It's like not every well, ghost story is you have to do that. But but at the same time, I, I I personally believe that a ghost story doesn't survive unless it gets reinforced. So for example, if uh, if we went to some old building, pick a town, doesn't matter, and we said, oh, there's a ghost in there, uh, and we told two or three people, um, that story is not gonna it's gonna die out. Like that building doesn't become haunted just sure. because we said so. It becomes haunted when someone else has an experience and says, hey, you know what? I was in there once and I saw something weird in the corner. And then someone else says, are you kidding me? My, my dad used to work in that building and I used to get freaked out when I'd go to visit him. And, and then like that's yes. so. So I actually believe there's often a catalyst that that yes. sort of makes this legend grow. Otherwise, we wouldn't talk about it. Well, there was, as a matter of fact, there was uh, close to where I live back in the 80s, there was um uh, there was a, a one of these antique shops, and the managers, both of them, they, they got robbed and and shot. And um, later on, there were stories. The, the, the perpetrators eventually were convicted, and but there were stories then of ghosts happenings. Now you have to understand also because it's a it's a huge antique area. You know, some people could say, is it the antiques or has it had to do with that crime? But anyway, somebody wrote a piece about it, and then you know people could. It's like a blog, but it's surprising how many people have listed their own experiences while visiting there. Yeah, of course. Okay. Um, and again, it's like, was it the crime or was it just because it's filled with all these old pieces that maybe there's something that that's the source of it, in other words. But yes, exactly what you said. You hear all these stories of people. I walked in there. I saw a shadow. I've heard voices. Oh, I felt somebody behind me. And these are people absolutely have no connection one between the other. And they describe having experiences that unless, well, not with the internet, where people can actually go ahead and retell what happened. Yeah, and then um, it gets, so it's, it, folklore works the same way it ever, it always worked. It's just faster now because, you know, mm -hmm. back then you had a weird experience. You'd tell someone, they might tell someone else and it could take years before that reputation yes. grew. Now, you know, you, you post it online and someone else replies and says, I had something like that happen too. By lunchtime, 
exactly you know like what used to take years can take like two three hours now and um and and but it's the same function it's still one person telling another and another sharing and becoming part of the story and so on and and i think this is what um you know people sometimes scoff who are very hardcore into researching paranormal I said, look, any paranormal show you have ever seen in your life, any episode of any show, Leonard Nimoy in search of like all of them, everyone, 100% started with a story. Someone heard something, right? If you, if you were really doing objective scientific research, you wouldn't go to a haunted building. You'd be like, hey, this Walmart was built three weeks ago. Let's go in and look for ghosts. Like, let's right. use this as a control, right? But we don't right. do that because it's not exactly. interesting. You know, no one's been there long enough to have anything weird happen beyond the normal weird stuff that happens at Walmart. It, it, it so the, so we're not real, we're, we're chasing stories. We always were. Right. And it, well, I, I'm sure you've heard of that famous, the Toys R Us uh, yeah, in California. Yeah. yeah this was, sure. uh, you know, that, that the it was haunted. And then later on, it figured out that it was supposedly something that happened on the land. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, where, you know, weird things have happened. And I tell somebody sometimes that's you know that's where you get new buildings and or houses and starts stuff starts to happen is what was on that land before then okay sure no sometimes uh, things are documented other times they're not construction doesn't have to be old to be haunted um no, there's, yes. there's a couple of stories i worked on i i interviewed a woman who uh owned a house say like tennessee it, it was um it was a new house like it was less than 10 years old no one had died in it and she said she was in her basement doing her laundry. And you know how basements have windows at the top, you know? So she said she looked out the window and she saw these feet walking like two feet above the grass, like hovering, you know, and, and walking by. And she's like, what the hell is this? And she would do some research and she learned that this, this house is on land that was once a Civil War field hospital. And the grass, of course, was graded down when a lawn was put in. And, you know, before it was graded, that might have been ground level, just a couple feet higher. And so she thinks she caught a glimpse of, you know, something that happened, you know, when it was a Civil War field hospital. Sure. One of the most famous taunts on the West Coast is the Whaley House out in yes. San Diego, California. I've been there, yes. Yeah, so the Whaley House, Thomas Whaley believed his house was haunted in the first week it was built. Um, Whaley, right. Whaley witnessed the hanging of Yankee Jim Robinson right on those grounds. That was the public hanging grounds. And right. Yankee Jim Robinson was, was hanged for literally borrowing. I know technically, I know, but it kind of, it's kind of extreme boat. what he got. <laughs> yeah. Right. It was like, they made an example of him. They're like, you can't, mm -hmm. we're going to, we're going to teach the world a lesson by hanging you. And he, even when they put the rope around his neck, he's like, they're just kidding they're, This is a joke. And then they weren't. And, and the rope, uh, he was a tall guy. The rope was was uh, was not the right length. And he strangled to death. He didn't snap his neck. Right. And it's a very Whaley, slow, agonizing death, by the way. So Whaley builds this house. And the first week he hears these bootsteps coming up the stairs and realizes there's no one there. And he writes in his journal, I think it's haunted by Yankee Jim. I watched him die right here on these grounds. I mean, so that's that's brand new construction, one week old. And he thought it was haunted. Yeah, but let me tell you something. But didn't he incorporate the gallows? Wasn't it right there, part of the house or something like that? Or I think uh, or because I think the, or the courthouse. It was like really weird. It was like one of those things where like, why would you live there? But back then you have to. I think people don't realize back then you had to be practical. Right. So the, it was his house. It was a store, and it was a courtroom. Right. Like it, right. it was. It was a lot. A lot of things, and uh, because that's how he paid for it. You know, he could rent out the courtroom. Uh, he had the store to sell goods, and he lived there. 
So, um, yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's one of those just great American stories and, um, yes. and, and one of the great American haunts and they, they, I think they, uh, they sell t-shirts that say like the world's most haunted house or whatever. And, right. Right. Uh, and I mean, I went there, but I went in the middle of the day. I wasn't doing the tourist thing, you know? Sure. It, 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 let's face it. I mean, I sat in there, it, it, but in the middle of the day, it's like, you know, I know there's just so many ambient noise going on around that if anything weird happened or you, we wouldn't notice it anyway. No, of but, course. Uh, you know, and it has that cemetery right next to it, the Campo Santo. The, the, this was like a pioneer cemetery right next to it. But that's because where Yankee of, Jim is buried. He's, yes. he's, a, he's a block down the road. And if you happen to be there, go right across the street from that cemetery and you can get a damn fine margarita at the Mexican restaurant. Yeah, just saying. It's like <laughs> looking for spirits. I always find spirits never fail. Yeah. <laughs> well, and this is the thing that uh, because people don't realize back then because they think of San Diego as in San Diego, but back then it was much smaller, more concentrated. And by yeah. the way, that area, like you said, the this is where everybody hang, hung out. This was like the gathering area, the courthouse, yeah. merchants. This was like, uh, yeah, but yeah, absolutely, a lot of things uh, like that do happen. That uh, now is it is. Poor Jim still walking around. Is it residual? Because he also had a, a daughter that died or tried to commit suicide, right? Violet? I, I don't know about that. Oh, oh, uh, Whaley did. Yeah, Whaley, Whaley did. Judge Whaley. Yeah, yeah. That he. I believe she shot herself in the privy right. in the back, if I'm remembering correctly. Yes. Um, so, yeah, no, it's, yeah, the, the, there was sort of like, you know, an air of tragedy all around that land. Um, yes. Yeah, so it's 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 one of those great American haunts. Every show's filmed there. Ghost Adventures filmed there. I've been there. Mm -hmm. You know, like, it's, it's, um it's one of those places that just sort of keeps coming up when you're looking for haunts. Yes. And, um, and it does, it's it, that section of town is called old town, San Diego. And it's called that for a reason. I mean, this is, this was the part of town that was, you know, like, like the original little village that it once was before it turned into, before LA sprawled in all directions and became, mm -hmm. you know, it just basically took over Southern California. Well, the, um, I'm going to give you it, it, you know, here in Miami, there's a very famous hotel called the Biltmore Hotel. And sure. it was built 19, 1920s. And it's it got the, the reputation for being haunted because supposedly back in, you know, during Prohibition, there was a gangster named Fats, I can't remember his last name, got shot up on the 13th floor. But during the time that it was open, it was a really nice hotel. This is where you had to have money to go in there. And then, of course, the Depression came in. And they are always trying to tie the ghost stories in, but people don't realize that during the Second World War, it was used as a hospital for soldiers. Yeah, sure. And they they very little connect any of the ghost stories to the time that it was a hospital. To be honest with you, I would think um, they closed it down for a while. And I visited back in the 80s. As a matter of fact, I, they, they had the, and I was looking in before they renovated. Now it's beautiful again. Um, and supposedly they... I would think that if there was a source for for a ghost, you it would the source for me would probably be more from among that, from the soldiers that were there recovering and or dying, versus one guy, a gangster that got killed on the 13th floor, shot to death. Sure. Um, and I've I've spoken to people that like in the kitchens, especially the kitchens of the hotel of all places, have a lot of weird stuff going on there. You know, everybody's looking at the penthouse 13th floor. And from what I understand, people that work there. The uh, how can I say the area where the visitors don't go, where the guests are not there, the kitchens and that area mm -hmm. where the people serve those that's where things are going on, as far as the yeah, Biltmore. Sure. 
No, and that's course. what I'm saying that sometimes the typical suspect is not, you know, the usual suspect is not really the one that's causing all the, all the hauntings or any of the paranormal events. It's a totally different source. I, there's a, I, I call it most famous phenomena where like anytime <laughs> there's a ghost somewhere, you tie it to the most famous person who's been there, died there, visited there. You know, yes. um, there's countless bed and breakfasts around Virginia, you know, and, and, and they mm -hmm. say like George Washington slept here and they're old because they were around in the 1700s, you know, and, uh, and there, and a lot of them have haunted reputations and it's, it's George Washington. He's haunting 30 different bed and breakfasts where he spent like two nights, you know, uh, passing through town all those years ago. <laughs> he's a busy ghost. He's just right. and, he, and he's going to haunt it forever. And and I love that. Right. Because it's not the gardener who got drunk and fell off the roof and died there in 1955. Right. It's it's George Washington who uh, came here for tea once, you know, and right. Um, and it, the tea was so good, so very good that he's here for all eternity. And uh and that's that's where he's going to haunt. It, it gives us comfort. And, and the reality is we're dealing with the unknown. And if we can put a label on it, it makes us feel better, even if we're wrong, even if we're yes. absolutely wrong. If we can say, oh, that that knocking you here on the wall right now, George Washington. Yeah. The guy on the dollar. I can tell. Right? <laughs> I just can tell the way he's that knocking. It's yeah. He, very that's presidential. how he knocked. That was his knock. Everybody knows that. And so you just go, oh, really? but it's just a knock that there's no it's not like we see him and go, oh, yeah, that's George. Like, no, it's uh, but but we feel a little bit better feeling like yes. we, we put a name on it. And um, yeah. and I see that all the time. I mean, I've seen that with people that are dealing with haunts in their homes or whatever. Like, that's my grandfather. He'd never hurt us. OK, I mean, I don't know. Maybe it is. But do you know for sure? Probably oh. not. Um, but we do it, that. It, it, it is like, yeah, I mean, besides that, it's, well, it, it's like, our, it, I, I think a lot of times people are scared to entertain somebody that isn't grandpa. Right. Yeah. Of course. Oh, that's that <laughs> well, mass thought... killer that, uh, that, that died right in front of this house, you know, back in 1920. Uh, he's just uh... probably still bumping around. That's scary. You want to, you want to think like, no, it's grandpa. He's, he's a nice guy. Of course. Well, I tell everybody I, I was doing paranormal investigations before that that's really since the 1990s i tell everybody mm -hmm. by the time back then i said by the time somebody reached out by the way very, very low-key to somebody like myself they had run out of options they had gone to the electrician to the plumber to the they had they had done the research okay versus now in other words by the time they got there they were like pulling their hair out literally nowadays somebody hears a noise everybody runs out and sleeps in the car Right away, right. it's the ghost versus, you know, my uh, my lights are blinking because maybe I've got an electrical short somewhere or the plumbing. Sure. Something's going on with the plumbing uh, or I've got an animal stuck in some tight space there. Can't, can't get out. <laughs> yeah. Or, you know, because and back then, by the time it, that's what I'm saying, the difference as far as how people like you were saying, view this back then, it was very low key. And it was like, I don't want my house to be haunted in a way. I'm talking here. I'm not talking historical haunt, you know, places. Yeah. Talking everyday houses yeah, where yeah. people were like, no, no, no. You know, I, I, I've brought in everybody. I've had everything tested and there's nothing wrong. And it's yeah. like now we're we've crossed off all the possibles and we're left with something supernatural as an agent causing the disturbance. Yeah. Now, scary, <laughs> now all the opposite. Yeah, start with it. Yeah, people start with it's haunted and they don't even check out those other things. No. It's um no. yeah, that's a concern. And um 
I can tell you, you know, like because of what I do in my work with Ghost Adventures, which is a really popular show. I mean, I've been doing that since episode one, and it's been wow. It's what is it? 13, 13 14? How many years? Thirteen is it now? years. Thirteen. Something years like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I know. I know exactly what it's been. It's been thirteen years, and uh, um, which is amazing. Like what a run, mm -hmm. and we're we're still going. I can tell you, we're working on new episodes right now. And um, uh, but one of the things that happens is I'll get emails from people that are just like. Hey, uh, I think my house is haunted, and I, I get a fair amount of those emails, and I go, okay, I'm I'm reading, I'm listening, um, I you know this is happening, that's happening. I'm like, okay, interesting. And then it says, I really need to get Zach here um, from Ghost Adventures, and I'm like, you lost me, I'm out, right? Um, it, it, because if because if you if you think your house is haunted, and you you think you need help, and you're reaching out to someone like me, I, I get all that, but when you say no, it's got to be Zach. You got to get a TV star here to help me. Yes. I'm like you don't have a real problem. If you had a real problem, you wouldn't care if it was Zach or anybody Absolutely. else, right? You'd Absolutely. say like, can anybody come help me with this? Yes. Um, now, sometimes I get emails that say, I do not want to be on TV. I don't want to be in any of your books. That right there is a good sign. Public. And then I go, oh, you have my full attention now. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> you know? Like, oh, all right. Well, then let me read this carefully. As soon as mm -hmm. I see Zach's name in the email, I'm like, boop, delete. I'm not, you know, I'm not right. his agent. I'm not his middleman. Um, you thinking course, that's, that's the solution, forget it. Um, right. And, and, and I tell everybody there's that to me, that was usually a good sign. Well, back then, you know, because I tell everybody this was before when you had to pay to develop film to, to put it yeah, in context right. of how long ago this was, I remember. um, yeah. you know, it, but now it's, or, and I'm going to say, you know, uh, for modern where you have to tell the, the, the family and, or the person, there's nothing really here. You know, we discovered, hey, do you know that you've got some cables there that are peeling back some electrical? Pe oh, you sure? It's got to be held. I'm like, no, not really. Yeah. It's a kind of disappointed in that that yeah. regard. And I'm thinking to myself, you really don't know, uh, you know, what you're asking for as far as, you know, some people that have experienced true hauntings. And I'm not talking anything residual, which is like you said, you know, a certain smell or a certain noise or stairs. And it's just a loop. It's there's nothing there. Um, yeah. Or something that's a little bit more disturbing is like, why would you want that in your house? Do you realize really what you're asking for? Um, well, sure. Uh, but yeah, it, and I think too, you know, I, I remember working on a, we were filming this, it's called a sizzle. It's not even a pilot. It's like a sizzle mm -hmm. reel for like a show that never got made. No shock. Uh, anyway, this house, um, they had a lot of issues. So I walked in and, and they, they said their house is haunted and they have all these problems. And if they could just get the demon out, everything would be okay. Oh, the and, D word. <laughs> and so I, I'm a snooper. And if you invite me into your house, like, and I go to the bathroom. Yeah. I I'm looking in your medicine cabinet. I'm sorry. I'm going to do yes, it there. Yes. Now, you know, don't invite me in if you don't want me to look. And yes. so, um, so beyond that, we're kind of walking around and I look on the kitchen table and there's a stack of bills and I just sort of like, fan through them and they're all past due and i go okay. okay and then i look on the fridge and there's a summons from the police for like violence mandatory violence training and i look out okay. in the backyard and they have an indoor they have an in-ground swimming pool uh and it was it was like the middle of july and the swimming pool still has its winter cover on it now i know it costs a lot of money to open and close a swimming pool each season you got to mm -hmm. buy a bunch of chemicals it's it's expensive and so obviously <clears throat> past due bills is a big stress on the family the pool's not open, so they don't even have the money for that. Someone's got to go to violence training. There was open bottles of, of liquor in every room. Like there was like mm -hmm. just a bottle somewhere nearby. And then the teenage daughter walks in and her two eyes couldn't focus on the same spot. I'm like, she's on drugs. 
And so I was thinking, I was like, let's say I could, you know, speed dial the Pope, which I could. Uh, and I get him down here, like in the Pope helicopter, like in the next hour, which I absolutely could do. I could do that. I have that power. I have him on speed dial. And he comes in with super soaker squirt guns full of holy water. And he's just, you know, dousing the house and he's got incense burning and he's whipping them around on his head and he's doing cartwheels and like the super Pope exorcism, this thing that only I can get because I know him so well. And it's a favor he I can call in and only me. Let's say I did all that. Uh, as soon as it's over and the smoke clears and the Pope's like wiping the sweat from his brow and getting back in the super sleek helicopter and flying back to the Vatican, you're still going to be an alcoholic. Your daughter's still on drugs. You still have violence issues. Your bills are still past due. Uh -huh. I mean, that does not go away with an exorcism. And so I was like, you know, we got to solve these other problems yes. before we could even uh, think about something that could be, you know, deeper than that. Um, because you guys are under an enormous amount of stress and you've got chemical dependency and you've got, you know, violence right. issues. Like this is not a good place to be right now. Um, right. Well, and, and, and the help I can offer is not the help you need, at least. For that right. Part. Yeah. Like my help, like my help would be like, let me get you the phone book back when there were phone books. Sure. And uh, yes. let's start looking for psychologists. Let's start looking for mm -hmm. rehabs. Let's look for like credit counselors, you know, like let's call them in first. And, and, and the problem though, is that I'm like, so I'm saying all this yes. and, and I literally got kicked off of the shoot, which was great. Fine. Like totally cool. Like I'm like, you know, I don't want to be part of this anyway. Yes. But the thing yes. is they'll kick us out of there and they'll call another group that'll come in and go, oh yeah, you have demons. And they'll tell them what they want to hear. Yes. I mean, I've seen people, I've seen people do it. Like yes. they'll call in three or four paranormal groups until they get the answer they want to hear. And that's, that's, that's not helping people. I, you know? I, one time I went on an investigation and again, this was way back, you know, when you got the red eye, you know, from the, when you, when you took pictures before digital yeah, per se, right. when you had the red eye, I had one lady, she calls us in, she's just nice, beautiful house, great neighborhood. And we're there. And she goes, Oh, I want to, she's claimed that uh, they were writing messages on her bathroom mirror. Okay. It was gone, yeah. but we're snapping pictures. I, I've got one of the other investigators. She's a professional photographer. He's just going, just snapping pictures with this nice, sleek, ultra modern equipment. She calls me over and she goes, look, I want to show you these pictures. I'm like, sure, show them to me. And here she is. She's sitting at like the dining room table. She's looking up and her eyes, you know, when they get that red glare, that's normal. That's from the, the, the flash. Sure. She's right. trying to show them to me, like making them look like I'm possessed, kind of like, and I'm looking at them and I'm like, but and I'm thinking to myself, oh, this is not good. This is not good. When you're basically yeah. trying to tell me that you've, and then she's giving me the story. She comes from a long line of psychics and seers and mediums, but I've got red eyes because in this picture, I'm like, your credibility just went out the door because it's like, okay. Um, things like that. People sometimes, um, for lack of a better word, they manufacture it. Uh, and whether there's something supernatural or not, unfortunately, when their credibility is shot, it's really difficult to regain the trust. Well, I've seen people too that sort of need it, you know, whatever, for whatever yes. reason, sometimes people need, um, they need, they need to feel something's there with them, um, yes. for comfort or whatever. Mm -hmm. And like, I get it. We're all, we're all struggling, you know, getting through our day to day. And, and so, um, it's just, and I, I, I believe in ghosts, by the way, like I do, I've, I've seen yes. things I can't explain. Mm -hmm. Um, but I've also found them to be, and I've been doing this, you know, over 20 years and all over the world in some of the creepiest places on the planet. And I can count on one hand how many times I've seen something yes. where I went, whoa, I can't explain that. Exactly. Um, so 
you know, so at the same, you know, I'm not saying it's not happening. I know it's happening to other people, but, but um, yeah, I, I, I guess I, I look at a, a story and I try to come at it from every angle. Like why you, why now, why this, um, what else is going on? You know, what's, what's important to you? What do you want? And then of course, sometimes you, you deal with families that are like, our house is haunted, but we like it. We don't want it gone. There's no, we don't they're, feel they're good with it. They're good yeah, with it. We're not threatened in any way. It's just sort of there. It's sort of somewhat comforting to feel like there's some spirit of the house that overlooks things that, you know, while we're there or not. And, and like, we're totally fine with it. I'm like, great. Then no, no harm, no foul. Totally good. But no one makes movies out of those stories. You know, like, no, uh, that's too vanilla. <laughs> that's yeah, too that's just, yeah. The scare Boring. factor is too low. Yeah. So, um, but at the same time, like there's, there's tons of stories like that. And the most common uh, accounts people tell me about are usually loved ones. You know, I mean, uh -huh. it's usually, uh, you know, like grandma died two weeks ago and I yes. saw her in my kitchen and she smiled at me and then just sort of melted away. And I felt like that was the goodbye that I didn't get. Sure. And like, and it's just, and it's just, it's actually heartwarming. It's not scary at mm -hmm. all. It's very, yeah. you know, um, very loving. And, and I think that's, um, that's, that's sort of beautiful, but that's not the stuff you hear about. Those are, but that's, that's what I hear about. That's, those are the stories sure. people tell me. Yeah. You, you, you know, you hear of, uh, I had a friend of mine who her grandfather was in another country. And she says one day he used to wear like a cowboy hat. And she says, one day she's looking down the hallway of her house and she sees him cross like the hallway from one room to the other. And she goes, first off, I knew what my grandfather looked like, but he had his cowboy hat on, but he was in another yeah. country. So she said, I knew something had happened to him. And like later in the day, they got note that he had passed away. Apparently he, he wasn't sick. In other words, he, he passed away suddenly. Sure. Um, and she says, once I saw him, I wasn't scared. And I just saw him cross the hallway from one room to the other. And I knew it was him. And it was like, it's impossible for that to really be him. Uh, but she said she wasn't scared and the family was, and she told her family later on what she had seen and everybody was good with it. And everybody took it as he's like what you said, he was here for his last goodbye. Sure. And to let everybody know I'm good. I'm okay. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I, I totally get it. And I, I think that's, um, I think we're all connected. You know, I, I've yeah. never found a haunting or a ghost when there's not a living person somewhere in the equation ever. Of course. Right. I mean, and so you, even if you say like, hey, I put in all these like, you know, closed circuit cameras in a house and we left it empty. Well, you're watching the closed circuit cameras. You're still in the equation. You're just not yes. literally there. And so um, so I don't think one can exist without the other. I think there's this sort of like symbiotic relationship between us and our our, our ghosts. And um, and I, I haven't figured it out. If I did, I swear I would tell people I wouldn't withhold that. Um, if I knew where the ghosts would be and when they would be there, I'd be rich. But oh, absolutely. Wow. Sadly, yeah. I, I, I don't. I don't know when lightning is going to strike and I don't know where. Uh, I just know that it does. And no, it's um, not an on demand kind of thing. Let me ask you, no. Jeff, have you ever been researching a story, whether it's for Ghost Adventures or anything else, where it became more than what you originally thought? Oh, uh, only those are the best ones. Right. And it happens a lot. It happens all the time. You know, where you um, you start digging in. I remember Ghost Adventures, it was season two, I think. And we were working on a place called Penhurst Asylum. Yes. And that's right outside okay. of Philadelphia. And we were the first show to get in there. And um, mm -hmm. I started working on, I'm like, an abandoned asylum. I'm like, I know what to do. We've done that. You know, like, got it. Right. You know, um, and you think it's just a formula. And by the way, sadly, it is sort of a formula because so many of those stories are similar, you know, overcrowding, yes. underfunding, bad conditions. Like, sadly, that is mm -hmm. a, a common thing. <laughs> However, Penhurst was a, in a league all of its own. And once we started digging in, you realize why there's actually a federal law uh, called 
referring to Penhurst, uh, and it has to do with how you can and can't treat people with mental disabilities because of atrocities that took place there in the 1970s, 19, right. 1970s, right? Yes. Not, not 1800s, not 17, like 1970s. And it was so bad. And then we started talking to patients that, that live there and then doctors who work there and, you know, and, and you hear about these conditions. And right. Because realize, a lot of these people are still alive. That's the thing. They're, they're alive. To... They could, yeah. I was there. I mean, when someone can say I was there, this is what I saw. It's powerful. You know, yes. um, uh, gosh, I spoke to a nurse who said that her first day, she and another nurse just went down uh, the row, row changing adult diapers on patients that were just bed bound. And by the, it was about 100 patients. And by the time they were done, it was time to just start again. And she said some of those patients would wipe their feces in their hair and on their skin, um, not because they're, they're monsters or didn't know any better. Actually, quite the opposite. They did it because they knew if they did that, they would get a bath and some human contact and touch yes. that they wouldn't get otherwise. Yes. Otherwise, they're just in the bed yes. all day with no one talking to them, no one touching them, uh, no one hugging them, holding them. Um, they're just literally like it's torture. It, I, to me, it's it's torture. There's no other way. Right. Absolutely. And so um, you hear stories like that and you go, oh, my, these were people's brothers and sisters and children and yes. cousins and family. And and um, and, and then I've, I've been in that building now a few times and it's, it's haunting. You know, you walk through that hall and you just say, like, I, I realized the first time I went in there, I was, uh, I was in one of the basement hallways that connect two buildings underground. And I was with Zach okay. and I was with my buddy, Dave Schrader. And we were down there and we heard this giggle, like way, way in the distance in the pitch black hallway. And then this rush of air, just like, Wah! goes right by us. We were there five minutes. Like we weren't filming, nothing was going on. And we just all stopped and looked at each other wide-eyed, like, whoa you know and and to me it felt like the building wanted to talk the building had something to say and and we were there to listen and um and and i think you know that's telling that story forces america sometimes to look into the mirror and not exactly like what we see looking back at us um because a lot of us were alive in the 1970s i mean this happened when we yes. lived in this country and 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 like, we can't let that happen again. So if this story can haunt us, if we can, you know, see how horrific this was, maybe, maybe there won't be another Penhurst. That's the sincere hope. You know, when right. we, we, we tell stories like this and when we go in and we document what we do and talk to patients and doctors who were there and, um, and then, you know, look for ghosts and, and, you know, whatever those ghosts may be, you can, I, I always... I always try to empathize with whoever would have been living or working in, in the place where we are, you know? So as soon as I walk in, I imagine what would it feel like if I was a patient being brought in here against my will, or if I was a doctor stretched so thin doing exactly. all I can just to like not drown myself and trying to help people like, which is why I got into this work, but you know, unable to. And um, a friend of mine who works in law enforcement and uh, he, he once gave me the analogy that I think absolutely applies here. He's like, what do you do? Like, how do you live with yourself? And a, a colleague of his said, it's like you're in a canoe and you're in this lake and there's hundreds of drowning people all around you and you can save two or three of them. And that's sometimes that's what it comes down to. Yeah. Absolutely. And you got And you got to be OK with that. You got to I save two or three and, and the rest are going to die. And, and, there's, and I'm like, I just looked at him and I'm like, man, I couldn't do it. Couldn't do your job. I, I I either save them all or I go down trying. Right, you know, and that's the thing. The, the that 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 thing where it's like, yeah, you you're that that that's 
that's sometimes the most that you can do. And not to mention, at one time I was doing research. There was another asylum up in upstate New York called Willowbrook. You know, Geraldo Rivera, no, he did a big no, expose on it. We filmed that. that. Yeah, I know it. That that was like a big deal because he brought in cameras when it was still open and active and same thing, yep. exposed. Well, I was doing research and back in the 19, like 1932, I want to say, they had a murder because they, what happened, unfortunately, and even back into the 40s, if you had a child that had some type of um, Down syndrome or everything, you were urged to institutionalize them. Sure. This girl, she... Um, she had ended up since she was small being shuffled around and she ended up there. She was like 14 or 15. They find skeletal remains. They reconstruct it, which by that back then it was an avant-garde thing. They, they reconstructed her from the skeletal remains. And uh, later on, they, her sister identified her. They figured out she, because she had blows to the skull that she had been murdered. Yeah. Come to find out later on. And this was, this, th these things happen. They kind of dropped the ball on the murder as to who did it again, because this was kind of like a girl that lived in because they actually lived there in this asylum, even though they weren't kept penned up, they worked on the grounds. This, sure. This same person that killed her later on, he killed somebody else. But the woman he killed was she was this is in Maine. She was not well connected, but she was not a poor girl that lived in this asylum. And of course, Everybody charged in there and caught the guy. And they realized, because he had changed his name, he was the one that had killed this poor girl like two or three years before. The right. point being that sometimes what you described as Penhurst, unfortunately, a lot of this, a lot of these people that lived in these places, even when bad things happened to them, including murder, it kind of fell through the cracks. Sure. Um, where, you know, and even now in current law enforcement, unless they follow through, you know, as to investigate thoroughly, it just becomes a cold case and fades away. Mm -hmm. And uh, and sometimes in some cases, not all the times, it's it's also the 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 recipe for uh, haunting sometimes in some of these places. And like I said, Willowbrook is one of those that from what I saw, it looks like those same thing as Penhurst, very extensive uh, grounds, acres and acres. Sure. Uh, where for lack of a better word, they were warehousing people. Yeah, no, of course. That's and that's uh, and then you know what's even worse is that those facilities have all been shut down and yes. there's, there's still a need, you know oh, what I mean? Absolutely I mean sure, a need. Yeah. Some people could be treated with medication, but mm -hmm. I mean, I think our, our sw swollen prison population, those are yes. some of those people need to be in an institution. Yes. And if they can't be yes. in one that cares for them, they're in, they're incarcerated and, and our homeless population. And so the deinstitutionalization in the 1980s, um, uh, was it a complete left a big hole it left a, a giant hole that's still there. And not only that, I mean, it, it was counter to everything this nation was founded on. You know, I mean, yes. when New York, New York state, for example, every County had to have a poor farm and a poor farm was like the early asylum, right? Like that's mm -hmm. the poor farm is where everyone went like widows who couldn't take care of themselves or widowers, uh, people with special Anybody. needs, people with disabilities and the community had to pay for it. And the, the institution had to be as self-sufficient as possible. So grow their own food, do yes. their own, you know, sew their own clothing and things like that. And, and it was just understood like these, these folks are from your community. You have to take care of them. That's just how it is. And everybody knew it. Right. And now suddenly like we lost that spirit along the way. And it's, um, it's tragic because the need is still there. Well, the, you know, a lot of those huge asylums there, a lot of them were built post-civil war and exactly what you said, they were built as working almost like farms. 
where right. they were made, where they would produce products and feed themselves. In other words, to sustain themselves. This was before state, the state would step in, like you said. And depending on the severity of the proper, some people you could not let out. <laughs> they couldn't work there, you know, they because their mental illness did, didn't allow them. They were violent, but there were others that they could work there and they kind of gave them structure and basically a place to live, which is, I think sometimes where a lot of these places end up being haunted because most of these people spent 30 and 40 years of their lives actually living within these walls. This is where they lived. Right. Um, and uh, I, I know that uh, one time when I was doing my graduate degree, I was speaking to one of my professors and for 10 years, he worked at a men's prison. I want to say it was Missouri, something like that. And he worked like an in-house counselor kind of thing in the prison. And he told me exactly what you just said, which confirmed a lot of these people. Yeah, they might have committed a crime, but really their bigger need is mental health. Right. <laughs> you know, right. right. Yeah. And they end up in the prisons. And I mean, and of course, a lot of their uh, I don't mean to excuse their conduct if they've done something criminal. But um, yeah, maybe if they would have had a place to address the mental illness from the beginning, they wouldn't have ended up in, in prison. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's it's a tragic state, but um, so I think it's important to tell these stories and that to, yes, to remind absolutely. people that like absolutely. you know we did you know and not that that was the solution either as we've learned sometimes the conditions get horrific because they get mm -hmm. underfunded and understaffed and um and then and then that's that's worse than it not being there but at the same time like they were all built with the best of intentions and yes. and and there were times when they worked really well you know um, yeah they did the old Kirkbride asylums and things like that it's um. I, I think that the study of history is, of course, the study of ourselves. You know, when, when you go back, mm -hmm. you are a product of not just the people who raised you, but where you were raised. You know, yes. I mean, like because that that has such an influence on on the whole, you know, the whole setting of your story. And so uh, so for me, like the study of history is just a, a way to look at ourselves and understand how we got to where we are, how I got to where I am. I mean, you know, in my own sure. town and community. I look at some of these places and I'm just like, oh yeah, like that, that's, that's a place that like my great grandfather would have worked and then, you know, and then so on. And then, and then there's this connection, this like thread that sort of ties you from, you know, one generation to another. And, um, and you realize we're not all that different. We just have wicked cool phones now. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? And, and it's true. I, I absolutely, and I, I'm going to use my, my years of life. I say, I remember when there was not even a pagers around. <laughs> I remember <laughs> even before we had answering machines. And that's yeah. all what started. After the answering machines, we went downhill from there. Before, <laughs> I don't know. You yeah. know what? People called you and it rang and nobody answered. They would call later. That's <laughs> right. That was yeah. it. And you no rolled the dice machine. on the phone. When the phone uh, was ringing, you rolled the dice. You're like, could be someone I really want to talk to. Could be someone I don't. Let's see what it is. Uh, sometimes, know. but it wasn't, it wasn't. How can I say it wasn't that on demand that we got going on now? Like, hey, yeah. I called you. Why didn't you answer the phone? You know, or I sent you an email. I text you. Um, yeah. And then, but I'm saying the answering machine from the answering machine we got pagers, and then the block phones, and then, and then we became like uh, where we are right now. In other words, and sure. you know but what? Just, and I'm going to ask you. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, but it's just different. It's not better or worse. It's no. different. And 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 like my daughter's growing up in it, and for her, this is normal. So oh, of course, you know. Of course. But anyway, go ahead. Let me ask you something. Do you think, Jeff, because that as our 
exposure or use of technology rises, there's another part of us that wants the, like you said, the folklore, the romanticized ghost stories, the mystery. That's the opposite of all this technology where there is, everything is explained. Uh, you know, I mean, we always love story and mystery, right? I mean, that's that's the, that's the thing we ponder. And, and I get that it's also frightening because of these supercomputers in our pockets uh, and, and the internet in general and, and all that stuff. We have access to more information than humans have ever had in the history of humans, right? There's, there's, you know, uh, if you grew up a hundred years ago, you might have had a local newspaper or even a regional one, and most of what you heard came from like your neighbors or at town. Yeah. You know, like that was it. It was not a lot of information overload. It was just life was pretty simple. You had to do your job, whether it was farming or whatever, and you had to, you know, pay your bills and and raise your yes. kids and find your food and and you know. Not not be a bad neighbor, you know. Otherwise, yeah. life just gets hard for everybody. And so now um, we've got so much information, and and a lot of it, as we've learned, is just wrong and false. And and we're mm -hmm. we're bombarded, and people are frightened by that. Uh, yes. And I get it. I understand. Um, a few years ago, I climbed Mount Kilimanjaro in Africa. Wow! And um, it was uh, ten days. You know, it was well eight days on the mountain with no internet, no phone, no computer, no nothing, right. and after like three days in, I realized something. I was like, wow, there's this weird calm and quiet inside of me that I didn't know was missing. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? And I realized I was like, you know, because day one, I'm like, is my family okay? I'm missing work emails. Like what? no one can text me like, oh my gosh. And then day two, I was like, okay. And then day three, I was just like, the world's going to be fine. It's going to keep yes. spinning while I'm up here on this mountain. And, and I, I you know, once I got back and, and, you know, you turn on your phone for the first time in 10 days and it's just like, bloop, bloop, bloop. you know, like all the texts are coming in, all the emails are coming in and you're just like, oh, I mean, it's smoking like this smoke. Yes, it's like thing, and you're just like, oh, I don't know if I'm ready for this, you know, and and uh, I, I can't advocate enough for like unplugging, whether even if it's just uh -huh. a day, like go sit by a pond, a lake, yes. you know, sit in the woods, whatever you got to do. But like keep the phone off and and um, get away from it, because like you need to literally reset your your brain and your body. Well, that's what I did. You remember when my son was, usually when I put it on silent, I have it at do not disturb, but I make exceptions, of course, for my kids because, sure. you know, unfortunately we do that worst case scenario. But I try to do that because exactly like what you said, because if not, you get overwhelmed with, it's like, which I think adds to our stress level, but that's a whole different show. Um, <laughs> yeah. Let me tell you something, Jeff. It has been great to talk to you. Let me, can you talk about any projects that you're working on or things, books, anything that are coming out? Yeah. Soon? So, so the thing is like, you know, so Ghost Adventures is still going, you know, I'm, right. I'm always working on new episodes and uh, my weekly podcast, New England Legends is every week. So there's always a new story, something weird. Uh, we do, you know, monsters and ghosts and haunts and weird history. Um, and that's every single week, um, always going, we're filming new episodes of the TV series. Um, I'm still okay. doing, um, my lecture series. I can tell you in, um, the first two weeks of December, I'm doing my, my Christmas story tour and that's super fun. A lot of them are virtual. People can attend from anywhere. Really? Um, that's great. With Zoom. Yeah. So it's called creepy Christmas and, uh, do yes. not, I repeat, do not bring your young children to that program, uh, or you will have a lot of explaining to do, um, it's uh, it's the ghosts and monsters and all the horrific things that have sort of been lost, but are making a comeback um, okay. to this this most frightening of holidays. By the way, uh, Halloween cannot hold a candle to Christmas as okay. far as horror goes. Yes, I mean, Halloween's yes. just ghosts. Ghosts don't hurt you. Christmas 
though Krampus will kill you, right? Belschnick. Oh my god, that's a scary figure. Let me tell you. Now that you mentioned that Grampus, that's like man, that's scary. I know. Can you imagine telling a kid about Grampus? It's the most horrifying holiday there is. Um, you know, the the sun hardly comes up. You're worried if it'll ever come back at all. It's 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 everything's dead out on the landscape. All the trees are dead. Everything is gone. It's just bleak and scary. And so anyway, I've got my uh, my creepy Christmas story tour coming up. Fun for the whole family, except the little kids. And um, you know, and then always always working on the next project because that's how it goes. To to uh, which what's your website for my podcast listeners? I have a link to the in the credits of the show. But what's up uh, sure. for my podcast listeners? What's that website? It's my name jeffbelanger.com. and uh, you can also find me on social media um, at Exploring Legends for Facebook or uh, Instagram. And okay. always happy to to communicate with fellow explorers of the weird. Yay! I that, let me tell you something. Why be normal, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's much. Much let's not call it weird, unusual. I'd like to try it sometime. I'd like to try being normal just for a day, see what it's like. Oh. Try it on like a coat, you know. <laughs> I know it's like it'd be boring, I think. I tell everybody it's like it'd be boring. <laughs> I mean, yeah. or or like I tell everybody, you know what, this is from Louis Lamore. Uh adventure is a romantic name for trouble, you know. Yeah, sure. kind of, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. It all depends what, what what's going on with you, but Again, thank you, Jeff. It has been absolutely wonderful to talk to you. And I wish you the best of luck on all your upcoming projects. Thank you, Marlene. Great talking to you, too. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Wow. So did you guys have a good time? I had a great time. I love speaking to Jeff. He is so interesting because, God, if anybody's got good stories, it's him. Um, because, again, he does the research. He does the research for Ghost Adventures. He does the books. He's got, um, I've, I've been on his newsletter for years now. Um, and it's, and again, which is what I've said before, you know, it's not only just the, how can I tell you, the, the ghost story in the sense of what we see now with paranormal shows, which is the investigation and the camera and the proof and the EVP. Uh, there's a part of what you, I want to call it, um, well, he made a very good description, the romantic part of the ghost story, which was the that apparition that was seen at a certain field or a certain place. Uh, some people thought they knew who it was. Sometimes you never you, you never knew. Sometimes they, they, they some people could say, well, you know, this happened there. And then after that, they saw the uh, spirit of the thing and the whatever. And. Uh, but nobody ever could concretely say, did that really happen? Did that not happen? Did it stop? Is it still going on? I'm going to give you a perfect example. Right now I was researching something. And this back in um, 1919, there's a cemetery in Pennsylvania called Savannah Cemetery. All right. And there was a haunting supposedly taking place that there was, uh, this supposedly happened around 1880, 1879. A young German officer goes out there for a duel. He, uh, apparently, I don't know how they ended up with a saber using a saber. I don't understand why, but anyway, he got an injury to his head and it, the story goes on to say that he, after that injury, he, I guess it was a head trauma. He became, that's my, my modern, uh, you know, description that didn't say head trauma became despondent. Another word for depression 
ultimately ended up taking his, he committed suicide by shooting himself in the heart on the outskirts of the cemetery. The story goes that um, if he sat on this big boulder that was there and that supposedly you would look and there was still blood stains on that boulder of where he killed himself and that in a memorial to him, they took his shoes and his hat and they buried them under that white oak. I'm assuming, because it doesn't specify that he wasn't buried in the cemetery, whether he was a suicide or not, doesn't. all it says is that his hat and his shoes were buried under that white oak. But what would happen is the shoes and the hat would reappear outside and they would get buried and they would come back out and they would get buried and they would come out. And supposedly, and that people would complain of feeling really weird things whenever you went along this area just outside the cemetery, I guess, uh, fence line, where you would get this be of being watched and just an eerie feeling. And then, of course, the story of, for whatever reason, that his shoes and his hat wouldn't stay buried. All right. Now, the identity of the soldier doesn't give a name. The exact date, not really. It was reported 1919. They said it happened 40 years before, so I'm guesstimating. In other words, there's no way to verify. Did this really happen? There's not, or one way or the other, was that the exact year? There isn't, but it's a ghost story. And as I, I love those ghost stories, okay? Because nobody ever complained of seeing him. Just a, an eerie, dreadful feeling and the fact that Part of what he was wearing wouldn't stay buried under that white oak at the place where he committed suicide. And by the way, when he mentioned that thing about Christmas stories and I mean, a Christmas being the perfect time for ghost stories, remember, typically, uh, if you all the Victorian authors, M.R. James, Dickinson, it was this is what people would do. They would gather this is cold outside, maybe snowing. They would gather a group of friends and. The best part of, let's say, either a dinner party or a get-together, a family get-together, was everybody would sit around and somebody would sit there and tell ghost stories. I think I think that's great. Let me tell you, I think that is great. As a matter of fact, that's one tradition that I think families should get together and still do. And of course, like all things, age-appropriate because, and then unless you put the little ones to sleep, because kids are impressionable. And, and if you've got a really, really good storyteller, before you know it, your kid wants to sleep with you. So, yes. But let me tell you something. Personally, I love it. I love to hear storytellers. I guess in person. And I could see where um, getting a family to gather around and somebody to tell these stories, whether they're part of the family history. Um, for example, I remember my grandfather, may he rest in peace. Uh, he was a policeman for many, many years. Um, and he retired back in the late 1950s and uh, towards the end, he was the equivalent. This was, this was the time period where you had beat cops. In other words, they had an area and towards the end of his career, he was what they, that he dressed in plain clothes and he did the equivalent, even though that wasn't what was used back then. It was like the equivalent of a vice cop. Okay. But back then you did everything. But bottom line, my grandfather would sometimes would sit down and he would tell me these stories and I could sit there for hours and hours and hours listening to these stories that he would tell about when he was a policeman, all right? 
you know, one time somebody shot at him. And this was the time of the 50s when the men's pants were really baggy. And basically, the shot went through his pant leg. All right. And, you know, barely almost hit his leg. The guy obviously aimed for his leg. But since he had those baggy 1950 pants, it just went through the cloth. And, well, you know, what can I say? The shooter got what he had coming. Now, back then, you didn't shoot a policeman. <laughs> so, um, and... Uh, yeah, I, I love listening to those stories. And um, I, I think it's a tradition that should come back. You know, I, as a matter of fact, I, you know, I, I can imagine most, even gatherings of friends, it's like, this is like the best thing. But think about it. Let's let's do the equivalent of campfire stories, but let's make it uh, a Christmas tradition, a tradition for the holidays, whatever my case might be. Um, you know, maybe when you got to stay indoor versus camping and you're outdoors. Uh, there's a bunch of stories that that fit right in. And if you really got somebody quick on their feet, you know, the kind of person that can make up stories on the fly and they just keep going by the looks on the people's faces like, oh, um, you know, th th these are the kind of stories that I mean, that, that that traditional scary one with a guy with a hook and the couple in the car and the hook, you know, but you've got some people that that really are really good and they can make stuff up just uh it's like, let's go, let's make this story up and they just pile it on. But uh, again, guys, I hope you liked this interview with Jeff. Um, I think it's fascinating. And um, obviously he's written the books. Uh, he does uh, all his work with, um, with Ghost Adventures, uh, you know, and all these things are, um, you know, for a lot of people that sometimes thinks like the paranormal isn't, oh, it's like it's been run dry. It's like, okay, you know, we've had 20 years of uh, paranormal shows. That's it. It's, it's exhausted. That, that's, that field has been exhausted. I beg to differ. Very much so. The reason why I say this is, yeah, maybe the formula of the presentation is, nah, but overall, I, I think the, the ghost story whether it's just the story or whether it's the research or whether it's an act of investigation, um, there's still uh, a lot left to be explored, explained, or just listened to when it has to do that. And I agree with Jeff when he says, a lot of these ghost stories sometimes have a lot to do with us, ourselves, our history. Sometimes it's a family history. Sometimes uh, it's the history of an area where you grew up in. Or collectively, let's say, as, as as a country, like what he explained in uh, when they were doing the thing in Penhurst, where, you know, you're seeing that as recently as the 1970s, you had people being treated so badly because they, they were just not important in society. Um, and the truth is, by then, a lot of these places were state run and it takes a lot of money and they weren't paying. It's a, it's a difficult job. So they were thinly staffed. And even if you got a job there, by the time you were there a while, you were ready to leave because first of all, it's gotta be brutal on your psyche. Plus you're probably exhausted because there's only so much a person can do. So in other words, um, it teaches us that, you know, unless we're vigilant about these things, it can happen again. Um, and I'm gonna go on a little segue. And I agree with him that a lot of the people that's not the way they were being taken care of, not that, but that people with certain mental illnesses needed a place for people to care for them, that they can't take care of themselves. 
if they need certain medicines to be given to them regularly, uh, if they need ongoing therapy. And, and let me explain. Sometimes it's not just the mental illness part of it, depending on what they've been diagnosed with, that a lot of times these people have lost touch with their family of origin, if they ever had one. Okay. In other words, they don't have anybody to be their advocate as a family member, a mom, a cousin, an aunt, a grandparent to come and speak on their behalf or uh, make sure that they get treatment. None of, none of that, 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 that framework doesn't exist for some people. As a matter of fact, a lot of people. And sometimes they, they themselves, because of their behavior, depending on how extreme it is, have alienated their family. So these people, they do need uh, places to be that will help them take care of themselves. And then you have people that are really, really, unfortunately, they're violent. They're violent and they're danger, not only to others, but to themselves that need constant supervision. But I agree with Jeff. Um, you know, the people like that, that, are, that uh, a lot of times are cast to the fringes of our society, we should make more of an effort to take care of them uh, versus just letting them do what they want, even if what they're doing is really self-destructive. Um, and uh, I think that, like he said, that learning our lessons from our history, you know, us as society uh, need to step up to the plate just to prove that we've learned from history, you know, that kind of, that kind of deal, baby. Uh, again, sign up for my newsletter. I've got a lot of great guests coming on. Uh, don't forget, you can go to miamighostchronicles.com. You can go to marlenepardo.com. Um, and I've got links there to the different podcast platforms where the podcast versions of the show are released. But I also have links there that if you want to listen to any of the podcast versions without commercial interruption, you can listen because I have a pot, an MP3 file for every show from the beginning. I have it on my website. You can listen to it on your browser. You can download the MP3 file. You do not have commercial interruptions on those. Uh, if you get it directly from my website, you know, once you jump off to the podcast platforms, chances are, depending uh, which one it is, you're going to get commercial interruptions. So again, guys, thank you so much for being part of my audience. You are all absolutely wonderful. And um, I will be back next week with uh, news from Chicken Kingdom. And um, let's see what we can come up with. Like I said, great guests. You're going to be happy, very happy with what I've got coming on and Thank you so much. I look forward to seeing you guys every week. Take care.